my friends, the great experiment. Prodigy. Prodigy. Hidden. Trick. Trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick. 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 Your people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star. Trick. Trick. The greatest trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's the new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. How are you doing today, Adam? I see you still have a ladder in your office. Yeah, that's not going anywhere. <laughs> Is that just where it lives? I've got an attic in my office. Oh, yeah. So I've got to get in and out of there for the foreseeable because it's where I'm storing a bunch of shit. Yeah. Is that like the? Is that going to be the long-term storage place of your house? It's also going to be the instrument of my death <laughs> because two of the legs are on a carpeted area and two of the legs are, are on a hard surface. Oh. So that's going to slip out from under me at some point. Man, I had a scary ladder moment the other day. It was, it was raining. Mm-hmm. The water was coming into my office through the window mm-hmm. and I needed to go put a tarp up on the roof so that it would like dangle down the side of the building and prevent water from coming in the window. Yeah. And uh I was recently gifted a 12 foot like extending ladder by my uh wife's uncle. He's a great guy, but he's like a find a thing in a junk pile and save it kind of guy. Sure. And I found out That's where as, all your baby clothes came from, right? Uh, yeah. I found out as I got to the top of this thing that it was really shaky when <laughs> it has a lot of weight on it. And it's like it's the sort of thing you only find out by by climbing it, right? right. Yeah, you don't exactly. know that from ground level. And I'm like in a raincoat. And there's like water in my eyes because I don't have any. <laughs> it's like because you're a glassesman. Yeah. Oh man, it was. Uh, I was like, this may be the story. Oh, how'd you break both legs, Ben? <laughs> it's one of those statistics that shock at first, but then the more you think about it, make a ton of sense. The fatality rate of homeowners related to ladder incidents yeah, yeah, is sky high. It's like the hot dog. It's one of the most lethal foods in the world. Really? Yeah. Is it because it is like the right diameter that it perfectly plugs up your airway? It's perfectly throat size, Ben. <laughs> but if you uh, get on like a like the edge of the bed and like lean your head backwards, you can get it far deeper. <laughs> I've heard, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're not dead. I'm not glad I'm not dead yet. Yeah. But give it time. I think having a hot dog in one hand was part of what made me feel so unsteady on that ladder. I should have just finished my hot dog before I went up on the roof to put the tarp. What do you do with a broken ladder? I mean, that's like a song, right? What do you do with a broken ladder? <laughs> you're just going to pass that problem on to someone else because you're going to stick that on a scrap pile. Someone else is going to see it and go, great, free ladder. It's not that it's Broken. You need to end this the cycle of violence that this ladder is causing. Yeah. Well, it's the thing is, it's not broken. It's just not sturdy. You know, like when I went to the store and paid top dollar for the eight foot ladder I own, I looked at all the ladders and I bought the one that had the highest weight tolerance because I figured that would be the the strongest ladder. Yeah. When you're hauling your dumper up and down that thing. Yeah. I. I mean, I. It's gonna need to. To handle it. I fluctuate, you know, there's like a 20 pound range of how heavy I am, but yeah. at the upper end, I'm like right at the at the weight capacity of a lot of these shitty ladders, and I didn't want to risk it. If both you and the ladder are at the upper end, 
It's a hell of a combination. It's yeah. a dangerous combination. It really is. Hey, speaking of ladders, there's a space elevator in this episode, Adam. One of my favorite sci-fi ideas. Yeah. When am I going to see your space elevator movie that you said is ready to be seen? Mm. <laughs> I've yet to receive the the screening invite. Oh, huh. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Feels like some intentionality there. <laughs> All right, let's change the subject. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. To uh, Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, Episode 15, Masquerade. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Future. On my mark, go back. Masquerade, like the name of the bar at the Rio. Oh, is that what it's named after? <laughs> yeah. More main characters in this episode of Star Trek Prodigy than were at the Masquerade Bar last time during Star Trek Las Vegas. <laughs> a bar they just decided to close fairly often. Yeah, like, why on a Saturday night is it closing at 6 p.m.? Isn't this Las Vegas? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the protostar is fucked up at the beginning of this episode. This shit is fucked. It's a lot like the Enterprise limping back to space dock after their encounter with Khan. Sure, but those moments are accompanied by, you know, a lingering shot of the damage and right. then maybe a minor key oh, yeah. in the orchestration. Like, the single no, a, brass horn of dino damage to your starship. That's what I'm saying. That's not really the vibe here. Instead, Dal's log is mostly about his envy of Okana. <laughs> but I get it. I mean, look at him. Yeah. Murph is like a puppy, except he's got phasers. <laughs> yeah. Have you considered giving a couple of hand phasers to Ripley the dog? It couldn't get any worse, really. <laughs> I think it'd be about the same, destruction-wise. Okana puts Murph in a hamster ball that sort of seems like it was better suited to the previous body shape of Murph. Yeah. Thought the same thing. But yeah, this, so this hamster ball is what Murph kind of hangs out in for the rest of the episode. Okana is also um, kind of kicking it to Gwyn. And what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? There's like a little bit of a fantasy moment where Dal is watching Okana. Like he's doing that thing where he's got like one hand like up against the wall and he's like leaning in while kicking it to her. And she seems receptive, but then his hand like puts pressure on the wings fall off button and uh he gets sucked out of he gets sucked out of an airlock yeah lucky him yeah. lucky bastard <laughs> what if the creators of star trek prodigy had a couple of like no count ensigns kicking it to gwyn and they get sucked out of an airlock yeah who would they get to voice that pair i mean the challenge of prodigy is there are so few characters there's no one on the ship yeah. it's a very small crew yeah dal is definitely not super stoked about Okana being there, despite his sort of ironic words to the contrary. This is a moment that seems as explicit as we've gotten in a while about the crush that Dal has on Gwyn. Like, that seems to have been back, back, back burnered for many episodes. And when I saw this, it was a reminder yeah, to that end. right. Yeah, that the, that their friendship has a more than platonic angle, at least for him. Yeah, because I don't think he's having death fantasies about you know the workplace <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. It's definitely a romantic angle and not a professional angle, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, hard agree. So the because the ship is in such bad shape, they need like a body shop. They need to 
pound out some of the dents and put some Bondo on it. And specifically, they need to get the proto drive fixed up and they need parts for that. So they're going to need to put in at a star base and they're trying to find one. doesn't seem like Dal really has his eye on the prize for this at the beginning of the episode, but Okana pitches a place called Noble Isle that he happens to have business contacts at and it's nearby. When I heard this name, Noble Isle, I was like, they wouldn't dare turn this into a liquor product that Star Trek has been known to do recently, right? Because this sounds like a scotch. Like, why wouldn't this be Star Trek scotch? You get a glass of Noble Isle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love a, I love a Noble Isle and soda, you know? Yeah. Extremely peaty. <laughs> but this is a kid's show. They'd never do that, right? Yeah. Maybe they'd make like, you know how there's like, kid chewing tobacco like the big league chew and then there's like the like candy cigarettes and stuff uh-huh could uh-huh. they make like kid scotch in the same vein like kid scotch seems like such a product of the 70s i love that idea <laughs> yeah that should be a thing i was not allowed anywhere near candy cigarettes when i was a kid i mean there's no way kid scotch can be any worse for a kid than like full strength coca-cola or right. whatever no i mean Everything is basically poison. Right. So, what do you make of this blue apple that Okana's eating? I don't know. Yeah, it looked kind of gross. I don't. I don't like when an apple is the same color on the inside as it is on the outside. And this apple is definitely turning blue on the inside. Yeah. I mean, the blue fruits are small. The berries, the berry family of fruits. Right. I don't want blue fruit any bigger than that. Oh yeah, I mean this is this is the thing that bedevils anybody that plays Pikmin Bloom. It's so hard to get enough blue flower petals to hit those goals when you need to plant three thousand blue flowers, Adam. See, I thought Pikmin Bloom was the name of one of your uh, college buddies. <laughs> I did not recognize that reference. <laughs> oh, it's a fun game. Okana's chomping on the apple and also lounging on the big chair. Yeah. Very very comfortable. Is Okana here? Yeah, he's also kicking at the hologram Janeway. Yeah. She seems very flattered by this. Yeah. Mr. Okana appears to have excellent vision, as well as a healthy libido. We cut over to the real Janeway on the USS Shovel, and she's still in the standoff with the Romulan Double Ds. Yeah. But we don't get to see the uh, the commander that she was, you know, trading barbs with on FaceTime at the end of last episode. Instead, she is on FaceTime with Admiral Jellico, who's telling her that under no circumstances should she take the USS Shovel into a situation where the Romulans could capture it. One of the things I really like about Ronnie Cox is something that I've noticed more and more after watching RoboCop like over and over again the last <laughs> couple of weeks. There's an antenna TV station in LA that's been playing the RoboCop movies basically on a loop for weeks wow (laughs) and i'll drop in and i'll just watch a part of a robocop while i'm eating lunch or something (laughs) and the thing about ronnie cox and his performance in robocop and in star trek is what he does with his voice is not on the page there's something imbued in how he says things like there's a music to the way everyone talks but his music is very specific and so condescending <laughs> and so sure of himself. Yeah. That I think it's what makes him so good at being Jellico and what makes Jellico so frustrating to interact with with everyone because nothing he says to Janeway here seems 
wrong. I mean, it's classic by the book Jellico, but the way he's wrong is the thing that is so frustrating for everyone around him. You have your orders. Should the Romulans attempt to steal it, destroy their protostar. Yeah, he is still super prickly. I I also thought it was a nice bit of writing when he mentions uh, Delta Shift and <laughs> Janeway winces because she just doesn't even like mentions of the word Delta, but he yeah. is like famous for loving having a four shift rotation. I don't want to talk about it. Get it done. When I got back home, it was the one airline. <laughs> I did not have a frequent flyer account with. <laughs> <laughs> so uh she's at a bit of a stalemate she's gonna have to uh watch this situation from a distance and the protostar arrives at noble isle which has the aforementioned space elevator and we learn a little bit about this place it's uh because it's outside the federation it's also outside of federation regulation so they're at the cutting edge of a lot of different types of science that might be otherwise stymied from being practiced inside the Federation. This is a device that is used because the planet's atmosphere is full of bangers. There's basically only one entrance and one exit, and it's through the elevator here. Yeah. Ben, how do space elevators work? Not like this one. <laughs> I was going to ask. <laughs> um, yeah, basically, I mean, there's a couple different types, but uh, I think the type this one is is the uh, the tether would be held straight by the rotation of the planet. So it basically is like spinning a yo-yo over your head, and then you you know clamp something onto the string, and that thing can travel up and down it. But yeah, maybe I misunderstood what was going on. But did the uh, the Romulan hit squad like stand on the top of the space elevator and look down at the planet at one point? Seemed like it. Yeah. They would be in space. They would die. Yeah, that's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. They're very long. They're not near the <laughs> atmosphere when when you get to the top. Zero and Pog have the good sense to stay behind on the ship while everyone else decides to go on this mission. Yeah. Hologram Janeway kind of hits everyone with the moral of the episode on their way out the door. She's like, mm. hey, just so you know, uh, things that seem too good to be true probably are. All right. Right. Good luck out there, kids. We do science the right way in the Federation. Yeah. I don't know how they're doing it down there. Well, we find out pretty quickly because on their way down... Uh, they get hit with an ad from Dr. Jago, who is the scientist that uh, Okana works with here on the planet. And Rock Talk is super excited about this, that they're going to get to meet a real world scientist. And Dr. Jago advertises a like soup up your genetics, Dr. Bashir type lifestyle. Don't let your genes impede your dreams. There's something subtle and cutting about this moment because when Dr. Jago pops up on the screen, it made me think about the inverse correlation between advertising and quality when it comes to professional things like lawyering right. or doctoring or dental implants or whatever, or whatever thing you see a billion advertisements for yeah. in and around LA specifically, right? Yeah. Like, so when Dr. Jago pops up, I'm like, well, this isn't going to be good. We can't trust Dr. Jago because they're advertising. 
Did you have that same feeling? Yeah, a little bit. So subscribe to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org. One of my wife's law school uh, classmates is now a bus bench lawyer in yeah. LA like a did you get in a car accident give me a call guy right <laughs> and so we like we see his face all over he's not at billboard level yet yeah but I think he will be yeah if uh, if the bus bench ad campaign gets him enough clients and he's able to you know settle enough cases it's fascinating like I, I'm like actively looking for a slip and fall lawsuit that I can engage his services on just to see how it all works <laughs> Uh, you won't have to work very hard to get one of those, Ben. <laughs> I think you're naturally a great candidate uh -huh. for a lawsuit like that. <laughs> I want to be clear and make the distinction here. Uh, our fine advertisers don't fall into this category. I'm talking about your your lawyer types specifically. Right. Not the fine businesses that advertise on our shows. <laughs> They're great. All of them. Yeah. Not class acts like these boys here, but real scum. Sure. <laughs> When Dr. Jago meets Okana, they are pretty upset to see him. Uh, most people are excited to see Okana, except for law enforcement. Right. But Dr. Jago's like, hey, you were supposed to deliver me some things yeah. for my workplace. Where is my gelatinous putrescine? I, I know, uh, I know. Why does she want gelatinous putrescine? That sounds nasty as hell. Yeah, I mean, both of those words sound disgusting putrescine is the smell that decaying bodies make it's really it's like rotting corpse smell that's a fun word yeah i only know that because there's an early neil stevenson novel about like an environmental activist who like <laughs> he like tips over a barrel of putrescine in some like polluting company's offices or something to uh mm. you know to stick it to them yeah the sort of thing Norm MacDonald would drop a cup into your vent full of, like in, in dirty work. Right, right. Ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. Note to self, get more gelatinous putrescine from Okana. Dr. Jago is a lot more interested in meeting Dal and is so excited to breach Dal's personal zone <laughs> <laughs> yeah that dr jago reaches in and grabs a lock of hair for a, a dna test that i don't think doll consents to here yeah also dr jago you gotta ask before you touch the skull ganglia <laughs> yeah i thought that was a, a little familiar yeah of the doctor but uh we find out what doll is finally yeah I suspected you're the handiwork of the protégés of Dr. Eric Sung. This was a story beat I did not see coming in this episode this early in it. I got to say the biggest surprise for me, maybe in all of new Star Trek anyway, was that the name Dr. Sung is evoked and a Brent Spiner-based character is not introduced immediately <laughs> to a new Star Trek show. What I'm trying to say is Brent Spiner works, yeah. you guys. yeah. He's picking up the phone. How is he not on this show? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so he's a Soong-type genetic hybrid, not a android or- Not a robot. He's not, no, but he was made in a lab out of a homo sapien substrate, and then they added like genetic details from a whole bunch of different species. And so Jago's like, this is great. You got tons of potential, kid, and I have- an implant that will really bring all of that stuff online. 
Dr. Doggo is kind of the Tony Robbins of Noble Isle, I would say. When you're digging into one of these older human augments, you're going to find a base layer of substrate <laughs> onto which you graft all kinds of DNA. <laughs> We're using a, a notch trowel to daub on <laughs> elements of Vulcan, Klingon, and other genetic hybrid species. You'd think Dahl would be excited to have this kind of self-knowledge. He is not. He is devastated to learn that he does not have parents. Yeah. Which is another reminder that Dahl was more interested in finding family than he was in finding out what kind of alien he is genetically, right? Right. Finding out what kind of alien he was was a means to an end, not the yeah. end in itself. And so he he is really bummed out. He slumps down on a pelican case and is super duper sad. And like the specific language that Jago uses to pitch this implant is that she can fix Dal. And, and the kids are all like, no, you're not broken, dude. We like you just the way you are. But I think that that really gets under his... His skin. Yeah. What what got under my skin was that Prodigy spent so much on the Fix You song by Coldplay <laughs> in this moment. And it really, God, it really leaned in to the drama of the moment in a way that wasn't necessary. But it was cool that they, you know, recorded their own lyrics for it. Yeah. I can fix you. So it seems in the moment that... Dahl is uninterested in this offer of being fixed. And the group, in their minds, doesn't believe that he needs fixing anyway. But when the group turns to leave, he kind of uh, kind of whispers to the doctor, like, how, how much time would it take to flip some of these DNA switches, Doc? Yeah, he's like, hey guys, I'm going to catch up. I just need to use the John before we go. And then like the door closes and you're like, Doc, can you do this in the time it takes to drop a deuce? Yeah. And then we go to commercial. Deuce time, which is very different for everyone. <laughs> right, yeah. So if Dahl is, is like me, for example, they're going to miss him if he's not there in, you know, 60 seconds. Wow. And if he's like you. 60 seconds. They're going to be like, all right, well, should we get lunch? What is that like? <laughs> it's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, you, get, you should try that uh, Symbiotic Plus. Oh, I'm I'm taking it four times a day. <laughs> That's a suppository, right? Uh, I think you need to read the label again, buddy. <laughs> All right. So back on the USS Shovel, Ensign Asensia is working with the Diviner, trying to find out what his mission is when uh, Janeway walks in and tells Asensia the bad news about them not being able to chase... The protostar and Asensia volunteers to uh, put on, you know, like uh, the outfit that Picard wore in the Edward Jellicoe episode and go behind enemy lines. This is the first moment I started to become suspicious of her as a character because why is an ensign doing this mm -hmm. was one question. Like, why is, why is she performing the therapy on the Diviner? It seems like she doesn't have the rank for this. I mean, I guess it's established early on that she's a real go-getter, so maybe she volunteered for a job above her grade, but... Right. Yeah, it does seem weird at this point. Yeah, they're not going to send her behind enemy lines, but 
they are going to try and wiretap the ROMs. They're going to try and monitor all the frequencies and see if they can get a sense of what's going on on Noble Isle, where Dal and uh, the gang are walking around, and Dal is suddenly a whole different guy. Yeah. Are you feeling better? The best. He's reading Okana's mind. He's doing handstand push-ups. He's swinging his arms while walking, and that's... (laughs) I mean, that's the worst sign of all. You see someone swinging their arms while walking. Mm-hmm. I don't think they can be trusted at all. He's getting a full 1600 on the SAT verbal. Mm. Wow, I've never heard you use such big words. He understands the like colon, double colon, colon thing. Sure does. They're like, what's up with you, man? Yeah. Yeah, he's a real dick. <laughs> when you're better than everyone else, you don't have to prove it all the time, Dal. Yeah, and you don't have to be an asshole about it and, like, use, you know, monosyllabic words to tell Okana that you're going back to the ship. Yeah. What the fuck, man? Like, are you better or are you super insecure that you might not be better? Which is it? Hmm. Interesting theory. Gwyn is immediately suspicious of Dal. Not just because of how he looks, how he's acting physically, what he's saying. I don't know. There's just something off about him. Yeah. She notices that his pants seem like they're fuller, maybe by like 2X. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because of the Klingon genetics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's dressing both ways. (laughs) (laughs) Have we talked about whether it's like side by side or top and bottom? All the time. Yeah. That's kind of the only thing we do talk about, isn't it? Yeah. It's been litigated. Especially when the the Warrior, the Legends t-shirt was in the design process. I think that's what settled it as law. It settled greatest gen law because the Warrior, the Legends shirt told us that uh, you dress both sides when you're Klingon. We should put that back up in podshop.biz. Give it another chance. Yeah. No downside to that. <laughs> yeah, no downside at all. <laughs> Back on the protostar, Jenkin Pog is in engineering when he gets shot with a Romulan weapon. And on the bridge, Zero gets shot too. Those Roms are lucky that that doesn't break Zero's suit open, right? I thought the same thing. You got to be careful. Yeah, be careful as fuck. Like, that would be a pretty amazing. <laughs> version of this episode where the Romulans that illegally board the protostar are just have their minds melted when they come back and they're like they find zero like under a sheet because <laughs> zero's suit is fucked up you know ben they couldn't do that because we get another fucking six episode arc about oh i'm zero i'm so sad for killing people accidentally Oh, they looked at me. What will I do? Those Romulans made an admonition out of me. Endure the admonition. (laughs) If you can. Only Zero wouldn't know what the admonition is, right? Because that's so secret. Yeah, very much so. But maybe Zero would because this isn't Tal Shiar, but in fact, a Jat Vash hit squad. Wow. You just did the math of the whole thing. And the, the like, you know... By reading the mind of the mind that they're erasing, Zero would come to know about the admonition. If Zero 
absorbed that Romulan's memory of the admonition, would Zero be at risk of going mad from knowledge of the admonition the way a Romulan does? I love this theory. <laughs> I love the theory of the mad Zero. Yeah. I like mad Zero more than sad Zero, DBH. <laughs> Sad Zero is just a super mega bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Get it together, Zero. Down on the planet, the rest of the motorcycle bad guys surround Dal and company, and they think they're taking Okana in custody because they imagine that Okana must be the captain because he's the only adult. And uh, when Dal corrects them, Okana bails. He's, uh, he appears to invite himself off of the show again. Good luck. I was kind of like, oh, is O'Connor just going to be a crew member from now on? That's kind of that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I don't understand why he was permitted to leave. <laughs> yeah. The Romulans, the, this is like for a hit squad, these guys are pretty chill. Even the hit squad is impressed and kind of seduced by O'Connor. Like, wow. Yeah. What a charmer. Hey, get out of here, you. You know what? I kind of want to check in with that guy later. Maybe go to the restaurant where he's going. <laughs> <laughs> the battle is in Dell's blood, Adam. That's one of the genes that the Soong people yeah. gave Dell. It's in his blood. Yeah. <laughs> they took the Klingon genes and put them in the holes. <laughs> It should be a bloodbath. It's a uh, this is a non-lethal fight. The lethal fight comes later, I think. Right. There is some incredible hulking happening here. Right. Like this does not appear to be a thing that Dal can control or is seeking to suppress. It's just a thing that happens to him that he's trying to understand. Yeah, it's sort of like Soji Star Trek Picard, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dal is just activated. The like doing a backflip off of a building and, you know, drop kicking three Romulans on the way down. I thought it was weird how this thing worked, right? Because Rock Talk pulls down the back of his shirt to reveal a brag tag that <laughs> Dal uses his ponytail to hit the trigger of. So, like, there is some control over whether or not this is happening. Right. But it comes as a surprise to what extent all of these things are coming to the surface and in what order. Is it like that thing in the hospital that you push to get a little dose of morphine? Yeah, it kind of seems like it. And they forgot to put the governor on it so he can just push it as many times as he wants. Yeah. This is quickly turning into an emergency that requires some medical attention though, right? Right. So they got to hop on the elevator to go back to the ship. Yeah, because his face is like morphing in real time in front of them. He's getting pointy ears. He's getting antenna. He's getting tellurite tusks, which has got to yeah. hurt like hell. Yeah. So yeah. they're on the elevator and this turns into like an elevator race because the Romulans are chasing them in elevators that they seem to be able to speed up and slow down relative to the other ones. I wonder to what extent True Lies is an inspiration for a moment like this. Like, <laughs> kind of the progenitor of the elevator chase yeah. in an action scene, if you ask me. Yeah, but why is nobody riding a horse if that is the case? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I stayed in that hotel once for work. Yeah? And it was really fun. I bet. A lot of movies have been shot in the... Uh, 
That's the Western Bonaventure in downtown LA. So cool. It it's really rad. Yeah. I drove by the uh the Nakatomi Tower not too long ago. I drive by it all the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. That thing is great. LA, right? Yeah. They shoot a lot of <laughs> movies here. <laughs> so it becomes pretty clear that the elevator is becoming unsafe in a shootout, and the decision is made to put on spacesuits and prepare to leave through the broken glass window. Yeah. And Alongside this decision, Dal is mutating faster and faster, and he's leaking. Yeah. And that's never good. There's like blue cum all over the floor yeah. all of a sudden. Maybe my super DNA can help. Ah, what is that? Like, wow, Dal, your body is changing before your very eyes. Rock Talk notices the gathering storm clouds and tells Gwyn that she better drop her heirloom just before lightning strikes. Yeah. And that is the advice that saves her life and strikes down the ROMs in the next elevator car. Yeah. I was surprised that Rock Talk had her wits about her. I mean, I would have just been like so like overwhelmed with relief that there was a helmet big enough for me if I was Rock Talk mm. in this scenario. <laughs> and <laughs> it would have been great if she just wore a helmet on the back of her head like a yarmulke or something. Like <laughs> there's just no getting over that giant head. <laughs> <laughs> when they're designing these elevator cars, like how do they pick what sizes of helmets to to store in the ceiling to to drop in case of cabin depressurization? You know, it's got to be so important about helmet storage generally for a wide variety of aliens is that they have to subscribe to the bowl theory of of nesting bowls, right? So you have your rock talk size helmet. But uh, inside that helmet, you're putting yeah. the smaller helmets and so on. Right. It's like Pyrex mixing bowls. Yeah. But helmets. That's got to be how it is. It's <laughs> the only way to efficiently store that stuff in a, in a glass elevator environment. Yeah. So monitoring all this over their successfully tapped communications lines is the USS Shovel, which is like convinced that the kids are not going to make it back to the protostar and Janeway has ordered that they fire torpedoes to destroy the protostar so that it doesn't fall into Romulan hands it's like they're going to shoot across the border and like super long range torpedo the protostar we have no choice this is a different technology from the photon torpedoes we've seen before right this is more like a cruise missile type of Photon torpedo? Yeah, it seems like it. it. seems like they work at very, very long distance. Yeah. And so... You got to believe that Janeway is reluctant to ever shoot torpedoes of any kind, right? <laughs> yeah. Probably took her a long time to get back on the torpedo horse. She's like, how many of them do we have? <laughs> 300? All right, I suppose we can spare two. <laughs> Fire two only. <laughs> and also, launch the tea-making system. <laughs> Fire that into the nearest star. <laughs> Fire the Bodum glassware. We need to score a lot of black fast. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. 
And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear? Also kicking lots of ass these days is Murph, who mm -hmm. uh, leaps out of the hamster ball and uh, kicks the butts of a bunch more Romulans. Hey, Ben. Yeah. Bunch of Romulans fly off this elevator. Murph has got a body count. 
Yeah, well, one of the Romulans that falls off does demonstrate himself to have some like jet boots or you know some ability to like fly away. But the ones that got hit by lightning probably died, right? I want to see the action figure packaging for Murph that goes like uh, gummy movable appendages. <laughs> Squeaker box sound effects <laughs> has murdered two Romulans. <laughs> yeah. When do you tell your kids about Murph? <laughs> when are they old enough to understand? Yeah, yeah. When do you tell a child about standing your ground? I read a totally bug nuts theory on the Star Trek internet lately. Really? That goes like, what if Murph is Chicote? <laughs> Sounds great. And like that is Murph's <laughs> eventual metamorphosis, his Murphamorphosis, if you will, is it to become Chicote? Like Chicote had to turn into. Maybe that's why Murph killed those Romulans. Oh, because Chicote wouldn't hesitate. Maquis justice. Maquis. At that point, what's the difference? <laughs> is the theory that Chicote went to warp ten and turned into a murder that way? I guess. I mean, we still don't know the answer to the Chakotay question. So I think that's still on the board. Yeah, wow. Seems like a long shot, but would be interesting. That's what she says. Yeah, well, Murph kicking all of these asses is enough to convince Janeway that the protostar is not going to fall into Romulan hands. So they abort the torpedoes at the last minute, and this is all witnessed by the kids, and uh, it's sort of left up to us to imagine how they might interpret this. Yeah. Like, what What do you think of the fact that two torpedoes just came really close to your starship and then changed direction and blew up in space nearby? How flimsy is neutral zone policy if crossing into it with a ship, bad, <laughs> shooting into it with cruise torpedo missiles, Good. Go for it. <laughs> I don't know. Is it possible that they could do that without the ROMs detecting it? The torpedoes at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of the neutral zone. <laughs> Not a neutral zone infraction. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't get it. I, it seems like anyone around would see them. Yeah. Well, they get Dal back to Six Bay, and uh, we get a little science log from Rock Talk, who is very excited to not also be the interim chief of security. That's that's Murph's job now. Could use a little more of Rock Talk doing that thing that older folks do on a Zoom call, just like down in the frame, maybe so that the mouth is below the bottom of the frame. <laughs> <laughs> Is that too much to ask? Yeah, but Rock Talk's a digital native, not like your parents. I know. Rock yeah. Talk thinks to look at those things like framing when you're yeah. on a Zoom call. Yeah. I jumped ahead a little bit, but I did really like the moment between Dal and Gwyn on the elevator when... Yeah. <laughs> like, I, there's something somewhat comic about Dal being in, like, Tellarite plus Klingon plus Andorian loaf when he's like, I just wanted you to love me. <laughs> <laughs> like, like he looks as crazy as he could possibly look and they're like no you're perfect just the way you are I like that moment too like I like it when 
in TV or movies, there's a dramatic moment during a Halloween party or something. And characters (laughs) who are costumed ridiculously have to have a heart to heart. That's what this moment felt like to me. Yeah, I I thought that was really nice. Yeah. So uh, the protostar undestroyed and fixed up. It's just going to be fine. But back on the USS Shuffle, Ensign Asensia is fucking pissed. Yeah. She bursts into the Diviner's quarters and conjures up a Dreadnought. He's been the table the whole time. Dreadnought, activate. Dreadnought is the kind of transformer that is killer robot in disguise, but he just transforms into a coffee table. He's not like a truck or a, a jet or a gun. He's nothing cool. We've got all sorts of great toy ideas on this show. We always have, really. Yeah. No one who cares about merch ever listens. <laughs> but I think there should be a Dreadnought toy that is not a Transformer. It's just Dreadnought, and he's a coffee table. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He does not transform. Adam, I'm picking up on long-range sensors. The USS Van Sitters has launched long-range torpedoes <laughs> at us. That figures. <laughs> that would be the first time that ship has noticed us. <laughs> Engine Essentia has a back of neck implant that looks very similar to the one Dal had. Yeah. But when she presses it, a nubbin bug comes out. No. She turns into a, a diviner herself. Yeah. She's just like him. Do they all have brag tags? Like anyone who is of the diviner's... Uh, Alien species, species, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. I don't know. I haven't noticed. I haven't lifted up his tail or or pulled down his collar. Yeah, Gwen's got to be careful when she's like rolling around in bed. I guess. I know. Yeah. So this is a big reveal. Yeah. Hey, let me tell you something, Ben. Never trusted her. She didn't seem like uh, she was uh, entirely on the up and up. No. But yeah. Did you like this episode, Adam? Kind of a lot happened. I liked how funny it was for all of the Dal stuff. And I like how that funny turned into a kind of sincerity that I bought at the end. That moment between he and Gwen, I thought was as solid as you said. Yeah. There's something cynical about putting Murph into a ball and to kind of turning him into BB-8. Like my <laughs> spidey sense in me was like, God, is Murph going to be the toy of the show? The beeping thing that is cute, that shows up to save the day every once in a while, that is kind of the deus ex machina of the show that we just never quite get an answer for. Right. That happens a couple of times this episode and it just put me on the lookout for that going forward. I know it's happened a few times before, but Murph is convenient in a lot of ways. And I hope I hope he reaches the end of his metamorphosis soon, sooner rather than later, so that this stuff doesn't happen as often, you know? Right. I like it when our characters solve problems because they have realized something about themselves or they've learned a new thing. And it was just Murph ex machina. <laughs> on the elevators there. And that's fun, but is there anything he can't do? Is there any story he can't fix? Wow. That's where I'm at. What about you? Uh, yeah, I liked the episode a lot. I thought that the Dell stuff was an interesting surprise. I, you know, I wasn't sure 
quite what to expect from that, but the Zoom type genetic hybrid was not on my bingo card. I'll put it that way. But in retrospect, should have been. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, I uh, I thought it was a really nice episode and and uh, sort of sweet. You know the the stuff about Dal like you know reconnecting with with them yeah. through a disappointment, and it's very interesting that they took that out of the list of reasons to go back to the Federation now. Like I, I find that the, they are writing this show towards them having fewer and fewer reasons to ever interact with the Federation in a way that I think is very interesting and surprising and not really what it felt like they were setting up at the beginning. So A fun creative constraint too in the way that, that constraints often inspire interesting stories. Exactly. I also want to say that like, I've missed the ship and I'm glad it's back and it's fixed, right? Like for so long, the story seemed to be like, what are we going to do with this thing? How are we going to hide it? Right. But in the same way that I always miss the D or Voyager or whatever in, in episodes that don't feature the ships, the ship is a character on this show. And when it's gone, I do miss it. You know? Adam, do you want to see if uh, we miss having priority one messages or if any have been sold for this episode? We'll see if the friends of DeSoto miss priority one messages once <laughs> they stop happening. <laughs> once they stop submitting them. Yeah. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Then our first priority one message is from the third two. It is to FODers. The message goes like this. Regarding Dr. Noam, Noam, I hardly wrecked him. <laughs> I like that wordplay. Yeah, that's fun. That is well written. The third chew. The third chew. So it's not just choo-choo, it's choo-choo-choo. I like it. Well, Adam, that is our first and our last Priority One message this episode. If you'd like to get one on the show... You can tell that the inventory is available because of that. December is really a great month for sending these messages, right? Got your holiday messages. Yeah. And you know everyone's going to be listening in their bathrooms while taking a break from their family gatherings. Yeah. Do you want to like hear your message coming out of our mouths while poop is coming out of your butt? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the ultimate podcast Ouroboros right there. <laughs> Well put. Head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set one up today. We'd really appreciate it. Adam, I got a question for you about this episode. What's that, Ben? Barnes Frank. Barnes Frank. Yeah, here's my Barnes Frank. <laughs> the first time somebody's ever heard our show, they're just like, what happened just now? <laughs> Whoever owns the Rainbow Puppy Mill on Noble Isle, what the hell are you doing? What the fuck? These puppies are cute as hell, but uh, I think their cuteness obscures a dark secret mm. about this place. Yeah. Maybe they're they're genetically created. I don't know. 
I don't know. But one thing I know about puppies of the modern era is got to be careful about mixing the genetic code. Right. Among different breeds. Yeah, they're going to have rainbow hip dysplasia when they get older. I know. You don't want that. It's cruel. That's my Barnes Franks. What about you, Ben? <laughs> my Barnes Franks is whoever gave Murph a pair of hand phasers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's playing Edward Phaser hands. <laughs> that scene is so insane. <laughs> Someone should have died. Yeah, yeah. Or like had a limb cut off. Episode 15, it's time to Tasha Yar someone mm-hmm. in season one of Prodigy. <laughs> I think it changes the way we think about that character going forward. What if it cut off Jenkin Pog's other arm and so now he has two robo arms? I love it. I love it. That would have been a way to go. How long was that idea on the whiteboard before someone just solemnly <laughs> pulled an eraser through it? <laughs> It turns out there are some bad ideas. <laughs> well, Adam, at the end of every episode of Greatest Trek, we like to uh, share some of the warnings that uh, our listeners have put out there on the internet. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. This one is from at royal.cox <laughs> on Instagram. This is actually a comment on at Royal.Cox's uh, post. It's Royal.Cox's birthday weekend, and ER Binding commented, we're such a couple of hashtag irregulars that we sort of accidentally on purpose recreated the greatest Trek hashtag factory seconds meal from September. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, that's a reference to factory seconds, our smash hit bonus podcast. Irregulars are what the listeners of that show call themselves and uh right. looks like it was Royal Dad Cox's birthday weekend and they did basically the exact same order. I'm I'm looking at this picture. Looks like there's a martini in there though. That's nice. Wow. But they got the Thai lettuce cups. You know what? That's very inspiring. I think the next time we we go hit the factory, I'm gonna get a martini. Yeah. That's a great idea. Sounds good. Let's see how the mixology is. Yeah. That's kind of a big test, you know? We should do a just at the bar episode of Factory Seconds. <laughs> oh man, we we hit the uh, the Quarks Bar Square for Factory yeah. Seconds. <laughs> I love it. Let's do it. Wow, I love it. Uh, well, thanks for the inspiration, Royal Cox and Er Binding, and uh, I hope I pronounced your handles on Instagram properly. If uh, folks out there would like to hear one of their own social media posts through our mouths. Post about the show. Use our handle at Greatest Trek on Instagram or if it still exists, Twitter. And uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll pull it and uh, mention you on the show someday. We really appreciate it. The thing about the name Royal Cox is that uh, that's also what the Chancellor of the Klingon High Council's dicks are called. <laughs> right? Hey! All right! Listen to the credits from information about next week's episode. Just a super quick joke before we get away. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next up on Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, Episode 16 is called Preludes. Starfleet Admiral digs into the past of the Protostar crew. Meanwhile, the Diviner recalls his life's mission.
Adam Ragusia created the original music that you hear throughout this show. You can find his podcast and YouTube cooking channel by searching for Adam Ragusia. Thank you to Nick Dittmore, who created the show art, and Bill Tilly, who manages the social media pages on Instagram and Twitter. We also want to say thank you to the members who are making this show possible with their monthly contributions. You can set up a membership over at MaximumFun.org join. P1s also support the show, and you can book one of those at MaximumFun.org Jumbotron. And if you want to support the show for free, you can do that by leaving a five-star review or just recommending it to someone that you know. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.